Welcome to PQ Talk on Call, a podcast dedicated to current and aspiring intensivists. Our second episode is dedicated to acute management of laryngospasm. We are delighted to be joined by Dr. Tom Austin. Dr. Austin is the Director of General Pediatric Anesthesiology at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta at Eggleston. He's also the Associate Professor of Anesthesiology and Pediatrics at Emory University School of Medicine. Our host today is Dr. Rahul Demenia. He's a second-year pediatric ICU fellow at Emory University School of Medicine. Rahul is going to start this with the case. We have a two-year-old male with history of Wilms tumor who presents to the sedation suite for post-surveillance MRI. The patient had a one-week history of nasal congestion. However, on exam, had no active nasal discharge with clear lung sounds. The patient was placed on continuous pulse oximetry and end tidal CO2 monitoring. As soon as the patient was sedated for the MRI, the patient suddenly had a cough and that subsequently progressed to perioral cyanosis and a loss of end tidal CO2. This case illustrates laryngospasm and I'd love to call upon Dr. Austin to define what exactly is laryngospasm. Um, so laryngospasm is either a complete or partial closure of the larynx uh, due to some manner of external stimulation. When we look at children who get laryngospasm, why do they go into acute respiratory failure? So um, with laryngospasm and the complete closure um, of the larynx, then the patient can't adequately oxygenate or ventilate. And so because of that, they become hypoxic very, very fast. Typically, children compared to adults have very limited uh, kind of respiratory reserve. And so you'll see them desaturate really, really fast. And with the saturation and hypoxia, you also will then see bradycardia, which leads uh, to full-on cardiac arrest. Got it. And when we think about laryngospasm, how does that differ from airway obstruction? Well, you know, in the moment, it's really hard to differentiate the two. Uh, the way that I would do it would be to first reposition the patient. Um, so that way, most likely, so they're supine. Um, I would put in a oral airway or an, and or a nasal trumpet. And if that actually doesn't relieve the obstruction, um, then most likely uh, it's laryngospasm at that moment. So it sounds like you first do your traditional ABCs, you try your traditional airway maneuvers, and subsequently, if those do not work, you have a high index of suspicion for laryngospasm. Correct. Dr. Kamat, when we want to think about laryngospasm in the moment, what is the characteristic breathing pattern that you will see? Uh, I think what we noticed in this case is the patient's chest was still moving while he was rapidly desaturating, becoming cyanotic. And when I put my stethoscope to listen to lung sounds, I would I could not hear any lung sounds. And all this was uh, triggered by like a simple cough or two. And suddenly the patient went literally blue in front of my eyes with you know, loss of end tidal, uh, uh, no uh, pulse oximetry, uh, saturation dropping. And, and at that point, I knew that I was uh, not dealing with a simple airway obstruction, but with uh, laryngospasm. It sounds like laryngospasm 
is associated with the trigger. And sometimes that trigger can be identified. However, there are times where that trigger may not be as known. And so if we move into the management of laryngospasm, Dr. Austin, you have now diagnosed laryngospasm. What are some pearls for acute management? So acute management, uh, so right away I would take over uh, the, the patient's airway with a bag mask do some positive pressure ventilation, see if I can relieve the obstruction that way. If it's just a partial obstruction, typically you can relieve it with just positive pressure ventilation. If not, then I would uh, either deepen uh, the sedation with use of propofol, typically like at a dose of 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram uh, IV. Or if that doesn't work, then I would use uh, a dose of succinylcholine. If I have an IV, I would push it that way. The typical dose I would use is anywhere from one to two milligrams per kilogram. And if the patient is start is bradycardic at that point, then I would also uh, use atropine um, at a dose of 0.02 milligrams per kilogram. If for some reason this doesn't this doesn't stop it, then I would then proceed to to put a breathing tube in this patient. Got it. And so. In terms of acute management, early recognition is key and make sure that you have your bag mask ready. You're going to be also deepening the sedation as well as in certain cases, uh, considering intubation. Dr. Kamat, there has been documented cases and uh, evidence of Larson's maneuver helping with laryngospasm. Do you mind going into a little bit more detail as to what exactly is Larson's maneuver? Larson's maneuver is basically pressure in the laryngeal notch. The laryngeal notch is basically formed anteriorly by the ramus of the mandible and posteriorly by the mastoid process. What you have to do is as you're giving the jaw thrust, you want to put a finger or two in this space and really put pressure inwards as if your two fingers are wanting to meet in the middle of the skull. And it, it is this firm pressure that can uh, reflexly relieve the complete laryngospasm and open at least some uh, some opening in there so that some oxygen uh, can go into the patient. Uh, I can uh, I can put it to Dr. Austin to kind of comment more on how many times they use uh, Larson's maneuver in the OR with success. Uh, yes. Uh, so typically, um, if I have a high suspicion for laryngospasm and I'm doing a going ahead and giving a positive pressure ventilation, then typically this is what I will do. Ultimately, you know, what, what I do is put good pressure there in the laryngeal notch and try to force that their jaw anteriorly. So that with a mixture of positive pressure ventilation tends to relieve the laryngospasm enough for me to ventilate the patient. But yes, this is one of uh, my go-to moves when dealing with laryngospasm. Excellent. When we define laryngospasm, we talked about both complete and partial laryngospasm. Dr. Austin, do you mind briefly telling us a little bit about how partial laryngospasm differs from complete laryngospasm? Sure. Uh, typically, the, the patient is still moving air through their vocal cords, so uh, sometimes they will sound stridorous. Uh, another way of looking at this is if you're able to ventilate the patient with positive pressure, then that's typically a, a partial laryngospasm. If it's complete, then you can't ventilate the patient even with really high positive pressure ventilation. And in those moments, then you'll, you'll need some sort of pharmacologic intervention. It seems like laryngospasm, especially complete laryngospasm, is a true medical emergency. And Dr. Kamal, I kind of want to turn to you to ask 
if you've noticed any sort of pre-screening that can help us decrease the risk for laryngospasm? Yeah, I think that's a good question, Raul. I think uh, you cannot really totally prevent uh, laryngospasm from happening because even completely healthy, normal kids can develop laryngospasm, but you can definitely decrease the risk by good pre-screening of the patient prior to sedation or anesthesia. Uh, I know many times the anesthesiologists will actually uh, use IV induction uh, over uh, inhaled anesthesia in high-risk kids. The other thing that we like to do, at least in sedation, is a kid who has recent URI, we are very careful. Unless the procedure is uh, emergent, we would like to delay that kid's procedure, especially if it is uh, elective. But kids who have exposure to tobacco smoke, kids who have a lot of secretions, and you know, manipulating the kid's uh, inside the mouth, like suctioning or working around the airway when the kid is lightly sedated can be associated and can trigger uh, laryngospasm. Also performing painful procedures when uh, the anesthesia or the IV medication, especially if the patient is not deeply sedated, may be associated with laryngospasm. So you have to be careful. You have to choose your patient very carefully. And like we said, you may not be able to totally prevent, but you can at least decrease the risk by good pre-screening. Today, we talked about laryngospasm. And here are some take-home summary points. Like Dr. Kamat mentioned, you want to decrease the risk as much as you can regarding laryngospasm. Remember that there is going to be a differentiation between airway obstruction and laryngospasm. The differentiation being laryngospasm may not be amenable to your traditional airway maneuvers. Early recognition is going to be key. And in terms of management, you want to consider bag mask ventilation, deepening sedation, and identifying any offending trigger. Thank you.